So if you don't know, my name is Jaden and this is Brennan. Hello. And we both just finished our degrees at Vanguard College. And so we've had this really cool opportunity. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we've had this really cool opportunity to kind of step into a part-time role as assistant youth directors and kind of working with Jeff with the youth and young adults and just kind of, yeah, making that happen. So that's who we are. All right. So um, to start off today, we're going to play a little game. And uh, to play this game, you have to kind of like, you have to date yourself. So if anyone was trying to hide their age from the rest of the church family here, we're sorry, but that's going to be no longer. All right. Um, so we're going to have a, like a historical event or an item from the past. And then if you remember that like happening or like coming out in your lifetime, we want you to raise your hand. Okay. So uh, first off, and like when people raise their hands, keep them up and then take like take a look around. So who is actually alive um, during the Second World War? Do we have any hands here? Have a couple back there. Crazy. Um, like, it's just weird to think about for me. Like, the World Wars, it's just, an, like, a scary time. So it's just crazy. I'm not saying crazy because that's a really long ago, guys. Come on. <laughs> stop that. All right. Yeah, exactly. All right. What about the Chevy Bel Air here that we have? Who remembers that coming out? In, like, 1950s. Beautiful car. I wish cars still looked like that. 57? All right. Um, what about, uh, remembers, like, watching on the news, like, Martin Luther King Jr. and, like, all he accomplished and did. Does anyone remember that? Cool. Uh, now, this is a personal favorite. What about some 80s hair and clothing styles? So, uh, that is Pastor Marlowe, my dad. And, uh... I, that pose, like all of it together, is just incredible. I, probably like over the years, he's embarrassed me. So first chance I get, and now I'm never going to be able to preach again. So sorry, last time. All right. Brennan is in fact fired now. Um, what about eight tracks? Oh, there we go. We got a few more now. What about, um, who remembers before the internet? There we go. What about uh, before cell phones? There we go. Who remembers 80s disco? As we just saw. If you don't remember it from before, you'll always remember it from today. <laughs> and what about my, like, absolute most favorite thing that I really wish would come back? Frosted tips. <laughs> Those are incredible, and I, I love them. Um, one, we, we have one more, and this one's like, so, I don't know, who remembers, like, actually being alive and watching it on the news? Who remembers 9-11? That's pretty crazy. Um, who remember? who has no recollection and, like, has been alive past that? Like, who doesn't remember? Anyone here? Youth? Yeah. Raise your hands. It's a completely different world when you think about it. Who here, like, doesn't remember before cell phones or the internet? Raise your hands. Did you do before? Oh. Before, or sorry, yeah, after. Who, rem who only remembers the internet or cell phones? That's what I mean. Raise your hands. I, yeah. So here's the point we're trying to make. When we look around at the differences that we each have, the experiences that we each have, the um, different events that we saw that shape our culture and our worldview, we realize that culture is changing. Um, it's actually crazy to see how much each generation changes. Um, like just each year almost. And um, 
because each generation was raised in almost an entirely different world. Like, think about how the world changes with each war, um, with the changes in equality, the changes in technology. These things completely shape our worldview and change how we think and act. Like, the differences uh, between our oldest and our youngest generation right now is massive, and it's only growing. And uh, it's safe to say that this coming generation, which is called Generation Z, is very different than the generations before. So let's look at, at some stats. Um, so Gen Z is possibly the last distinguishable generation as it'll soon be, as soon generations will be non-existent because of how fast culture is changing. So Gen Z makes up 27% of North America. And uh, as youth leaders, that's who we work with. It's, it's the, the youth of today. And it's usually anyone considered to be um, born between, or yeah, considered to be born between 1999 and 2015. And that's, there's a little give or take there, but that's the rough estimate of the age. So we have some um, pretty interesting distinctions with Generation D, that's, or Z, sorry, that sets them apart from the previous generations. Uh, the biggest distinction is that they grew up in a world of technology and connectivity. They are sometimes called screenagers, as they are the most connected generation, but they also consider themselves to be the most isolated. Compared to older adults, they are twice as likely to say that they are lonely. On average, they spend a minimum of four hours a day on the cell phone which I actually think is pretty conservative. I think most students would spend a quite a bit more than that. This generation is more diverse and generally more accepting of differences, which is awesome. But with that, they have the mindset that acceptance and affirmation are the same. So they feel that if you disagree with them, then you are not accepting them. For this generation, family is significantly less prioritized than professional and educational achievements. Hobbies, pastimes, gender, sexuality, and friends are all below the professional and educational achievements. This is the first generation that did not have family as the number one priority, and they've dropped it all the way to fifth. One of the only things that ranks lower than family to Generation Z would be religion. 34% of Generation Z says that they are either atheist or agnostic. They do not affiliate with any religion, and only 4% have a Bible-based worldview. So it's clear right now that this is not a Christian generation. And right now, Canada is itself is far from a Christian country. It may have been largely like 50 years ago, or even like more so 20 years ago, but that's not the case in Canada or other Western cultures or countries. So we're going to throw up a little graph and uh, take a look at these stats. So, uh, Western church is declining fast. In 1967, sorry, can I have that next slide, please? Perfect, thanks. 50% of Canadians said that they weekly attended a religious service, and that's been dropping ever since. And 2015, only 10% would say that they weekly attend a religious service. And Overall, like evangelical churches, like our denominations, have kind of declined at a slower pace. But nonetheless, we're still declining. And for the past 50 or 60 years, that's the rate we're going. And if we follow this trend, like it's just going down. We can't ignore the truth anymore. If we follow this trend, our churches will become extinct. So there is a need to reach this next generation. Because they are disconnected and they need the forgiveness of Jesus. We cannot ignore the statistics and the change in culture and just continue to do church the same way we always have because it, it doesn't work anymore. If we do that, our church will grow old and become extinct. And that has been happening all over Canada, all over the States, all over Western countries. And it's so sad. So if we look at these stats of the declining church and the huge change in culture that Gen Z 
has brought and will continue to bring, we realize that we're in a post-Christian culture. So there's a shift in our mindset that really needs to happen. In reality, we're missionaries. And this is the mindset we have to have. Because sometimes as a Western culture Christian, we think, I'm a Christian, so I go to church on Sunday, and as long as I'm a good person, that's all that matters. Like, I'm doing a good job. But if we view ourselves as missionaries, then our entire purpose here, where we are, our jobs, our, our homes, our town or city, then our entire purpose is to tell people about Jesus. And that's why we are here. We are going to be working with a culture that is completely different than what we were used to. We saw some stats. Like, they grew up on technology. That changes how, we, how they think. They value family a lot less. That changes how they think. Like, it's a very different culture that's coming up. And, uh, and then the majority of our culture is not Christian. So we are missionaries. Churches cannot just keep doing what we've always been doing because culture is changing. And if we don't know how to reach the culture, then the Western church will continue to decline and eventually die. So looking at religion and its relation to this new generation of students, uh, it's the main reason why our youth group looks the way it does. We have terribly acted videos that we think are really funny. Um, but they are teaching basic Bible stories because most of these students have never heard them. Uh, we also post memes uh, pretty much every day on our Instagram account, and most of them I don't even understand. And we have to connect with students in an entirely different way than we have in the past. Since changing the way we engage with the youth of today, um, over the past four years, our group has grown from about 50 to 60 students a night, to now we have nights with over 160 students that come here. Um, most of these students are not connected to the church in any greater way than a Friday night. Some interesting stats we received this week were 2,562 students signed into 180 Friday nights this year. And of those 2,562, 431 of them were unique individuals, meaning that 431 different students signed in here over the year. And that's just with the ones that actually signed in. Because as it turns out, even though you tell a teenager to do something, they don't. So... Uh, this actually means that that is about 25% of the population of people in Beaumont aged 12 to 17. So it's actually pretty mind-blowing that this is what our group has become, coming from 50 to 60. And it also explains why I have gray hair at 22. <laughs> so this shift in culture that we have seen has caused us to take a look at what ministry means and what the Bible is calling us to do. The main thing we've adopted is the teaching of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23. Paul says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, as to win those who are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Paul writes this to remind the church that when he, when he chooses not to take full advantage of his Christian liberties, it is all done to reach a greater crowd. As far as his rights were concerned, he was free from all men, but because of his love for all men, he would gladly limit those rights for their sakes. He would modify his habits, his preferences, his entire lifestyle if any of those things caused someone to stumble, to be offended, or to be hindered from faith in the Lord. 
The ministry that the Apostle Paul was doing and the work that he wanted to see in the church was based on meeting culture where it was and making the church somewhere that all people could feel welcome. Verse 20 says, To the Jews I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. The Apostle Paul was a professing Christian, and because of this, he was no longer bound to the ceremonies and rituals and traditions of Judaism. However, following these or not following these had no effect on his spiritual life. He knew that if following these things would open the door for the Jews to hear the message of Christ, it was worth accommodating it. Participating in holidays and abstaining from certain foods would have been an inconvenience for Paul, but being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel is something that should be a no-brainer to us. And we see this again with Apostle Paul when he was training the disciple Timothy. Uh, Timothy was not raised Jewish like Paul was. Timothy's father was Greek, so he had not undergone the Jewish tradition of circumcision. But the ministry that Paul was training him for would involve him working directly with Jewish people. And Paul and Timothy knew that um, the Jewish people had a very high value on circumcision because for almost 2,000 years, that was the Jewish people's sign or covenant with God that showed they were God's people. So in Acts 16.3, it says that before Paul took Timothy to Jerusalem to minister to the Jewish people, he had him circumcised. Which, in case you were wondering, not a good time. Like I'd imagine as an adult... Um, very uncomfortable and painful, and I don't want to think about it too much, but that's not a good time. And that's just, he did it so that he could share the gospel with Jewish people. He laid down his rights for the sake of others. So Timothy never once refused what Paul was calling him to do because he knew the importance of the gospel message. Paul's life was centered on living out the gospel, preaching it, and teaching it. But even he knew that reaching more people took... Like, you can't just stand on a street corner and scream the message. Paul was calling the church of Corinth here to adapt to the culture that surrounded it in a way that would reach outside of their current gathering, and it's the same thing that we're trying to do today. What Paul did in these verses was not part of the gospel. In fact, it didn't really have anything to do with the gospel itself, but it helped many unbelievers listen to the gospel and be more open to receive it. That is what we are all striving to do. We're trying to make our churches and our lives into something that draws people in and draws them to ask what it is we have in Jesus. We can't go into the world and say, we're going to do it our way, and if you don't listen, that's your problem. This mindset leaves people disengaged and disinterested in this religion that doesn't understand them. But that's not what the church is supposed to be. We need to meet people where they are at, and we need to do everything we can in hopes that they will hear the gospel and choose to follow Jesus. Verse 23 wraps it up beautifully in saying, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So for those of you who want to take the next step, next week we'll be offering adult circumcisions. And you can sign up at the back. We're just going to reach those, the Jewish people in our community. <laughs> I didn't ask if I could make that joke, so I hope that's okay. Another reason why I won't preach again. Uh, all right, but seriously, like, let's look at this. What does this mean for us? Why is this at all important? Well, let's be honest. We looked at the stats. We aren't growing across the Western culture. And in our own church, we aren't growing. And we're getting older. And that's a truth that might be hard to face sometimes. But it's the truth nonetheless. And it's not culture's fault. That's not, we can't just as the church sit here and say, it's not our problem if they don't listen. If it's the church's job to reach people, 
to follow the Great Commission and make disciples of Jesus, then it's the church's fault if that doesn't happen. That does fall on us. That's our responsibility and our burden to carry. And it's not just the pastor's job or the council's job or the people who have been Christians longer. If it's the church's job, then it's every Christian. The church isn't this building and who runs it. The church is every Christian who is a part of the greater church. So it's everyone's responsibility. So if we aren't a growing church, then something is wrong. And I'm not saying our church is bad. I I love this church. But just because we love our church doesn't mean we don't need to change or improve. We should never stop striving to be better as a church family. And we can't be blinded to the community of people around us that need to hear the gospel. I'm not saying that growing our church will be easy. It's an uphill battle, for sure. And, like, even Jesus faced rejection. We know that. It's not like if we change a couple things, we're going to have success all the time. But I do believe that if our church lived like Jesus or like Paul or like Timothy, and they did everything with the hope that some might be saved, then I believe we would be growing. And I'm not trying to push blame. I'm, not, I'm just trying to make it clear that we need to change because people need Jesus. And don't we believe that? Don't we believe that in the gospel message that Jesus came to die for our sins so that we can have a full and complete relationship with him? And don't we believe that this is the greatest news that could ever be shared? If so, then we believe that the gospel message holds deep implications for eternity in heaven or hell. We are saved by God in human form who did nothing wrong and took the blame for every wrong we have done and will do. He died on a cross so that we could choose at any point to be free from sin and to be loved so deeply and perfectly beyond what our minds can ever fully grasp. How can we as a church claim to be believers of this and not feel the need to do everything to share it or to be uncomfortable for it or to face our fears for it? The cross was not comfortable or easy for Jesus. He wept the night before, and the Bible says his sweat was like drops of blood. He wept and cried and was scared for what was coming because he knew the pain he had to endure. And he asked God, is there any other way? But when there wasn't, he said, your will will be done. So we need to be willing to become uncomfortable and to do whatever is necessary to share the life-changing news that there's a Savior who paid for our mistakes and failures in full. We can't just meet together on Sunday and hope that people walk in the door. We need to be sharing God's love with people, inviting them to church and truly living a life that is like Christ and that reflects his love. And we want our church to view ourselves as missionaries because it changes how we view our church and it completely changes our day-to-day life. So something I learned while studying missions is that when it comes to missions, you are either a missionary or a mission field. Either we are actively reaching out or we need reaching out to. At different points in our lives, we are all each, like we're a little bit of both and we've all been one of each. But as a church, we need to take up the burden of missionary and leave behind being a mission field. But don't let this stress you. I know it sounds terrible. And honestly, I would not want to live overseas because I'm a very picky eater. And that sounds terrifying. So for me to say, like, we have to be missionaries, I get that it's a little scary. But God God does not call the qualified, but qualifies the called. And he's done that for each and every believer. He has qualified each and every one of you to share your story and share all that he's done for you. 
Um, look at missionaries who are sent overseas. You cannot send a missionary to another culture and have them treat church like we do here in Beaumont. Uh, you can't expect them to go somewhere else and expect them to attend a church with a language they don't understand, reference culture that they don't know, and to have these cultural values that they don't feel are respected. It's the missionary's job to learn to immerse themselves in that culture so that they can show Jesus to people where they're at. Um, we cannot expect another culture to change everything about themselves to hear a message that we feel is important, but we can change how we deliver that message to them so that they hear it. Here in Canada, uh, there's sometimes this idea that the way that we do church and have been doing things for the past 50 years is the best way, and there can be an unchanging heart. But if we look at the world around us, and even from the game that we played this morning, culture is changing, and if the church is not willing to change as well, we risk becoming obsolete. We need to remember that we are called to be the hands and feet of the message. We are called to be the ones who share this and show other people that God is in the midst of each and every place, not just in a building on Sundays. We need to be willing to learn the culture that surrounds us and adapt to it. And this isn't just because we want to be like a cool church. This isn't because we want more people so that we feel good and successful about what we do here. This isn't so that we can afford that new building sooner. It's so that people can be saved. And it's so that they can know the unending love and forgiveness of Jesus. We do all that we do because God loves the people in this community so desperately that he sent Jesus to die for them. You know, think of your neighbor or your coworker or the people who live like 50 feet behind this church. Do they know the message? Has anyone told them? Have we shown Christ's love to them? We need to change because people need Jesus. And we're making this clear because this church is going to change. We're going to be pushing for it, and it's going to change. And it might be uncomfortable. It might not be what you like, but it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what Jaden wants or what the pastors like exactly. It's about the people that don't know Jesus. Our lives are supposed to be about the people that don't know Jesus and reaching out to them. And I don't want you to feel guilty here. It, like, it's a very natural thing to want comfort. We naturally do that. When I'm in a group of people, I naturally go to the person that I know the best because that's just where I feel comfortable. That's a natural thing. But if being comfortable at church is what we're striving for, then we are meeting together out of self-centeredness and pride. Comfort in staying the same and shying away from cultural change will stop us from spreading the gospel. If you come to church and expect it to be done only how you personally like it, you've missed the point of church. I'm continually cold, and I would really love it to be 32 degrees in here every Sunday, but that's going to put people to sleep, and that's pretty counterproductive for what we'd like. But that's what it means, is that we can't always have what makes us the most comfortable. To make this all a little more confusing, here we are saying that we need to meet culture where it's at, and we need to be willing to change for it. Yet what we see in culture is that it always tells us that it's all about the individual. We don't mean to say that we want our churches to become like that. We don't want to lose our mirror for Christ, and we don't want to mirror him in a bad way. But if we can't, br like, we can't bring that cultural mentality of individualism into this. But if we refuse to modernize and to become culturally savvy, we're not going to reach people, especially this next generation coming up. Yeah, Paul says um, in Philippians 2 uh, that with one another we should have the mindset as Christ. Jesus, even though he was God, he humbled himself and became a human. 
or the Bible says taking the form of a servant. And then he died for us. He laid down his life. And Paul says, go and do the same. Lay down your life, lay down your wants and your rights. The right mindset to have here is that we need to be willing to give up everything we have, like even our lives so that just one person can hear the gospel. And that's, that's hard. Like it's not easy. No one's saying that. Being humble, being a servant, being uncomfortable, facing your fears, that is hard. But that is the cross that we picked up when Jesus forgave our sins and we agreed to follow him. Well, there's not a ton more that I can really go on further with that, but I want to wrap up with a few thoughts. Some of those stats are hopefully pretty sobering, maybe even a little bit scary, but I hope that as we walk away from this place this morning, that you don't walk away with fear on your mind, but with hope in your heart. The fact is that as scary as it may seem, God already knows what we need to do as a church to reach all people, not just Generation Z. He actually literally exists in the future, and he's calling us towards success from there. And that's something to keep in mind. I want to tell you a story. I've mentioned this before that I think captures a little bit of the issue that the local church in North America is facing right now, and that's the story of Blockbuster and Netflix. Remember Blockbuster? It's dead now. It's gone. Uh, Blockbuster was the biggest like place to be on a Friday night. It was packed. It was bumping. Who's it? Remember going there on a Friday? You had to get there early. I know we'd even go like Thursday because that was the day you could go get the new releases. And if you could like beat the traffic there, you'd have to bring it back Saturday, but that was okay. Cause you got that new release. For some reason, they never got like 15 copies. It was like two. Anyways, they had the market cornered on entertainment on a weekend. Everyone was there. And in the year 2000, they had the opportunity to purchase an up-and-coming business called Netflix for $50 million. Sounds like a lot of money, but when the stat came out this week that Netflix is now worth more than Disney, it brings some things into perspective. Blockbuster, and this is the quote, in, a, in an interview with, uh, I believe, think it was CNN, or there was an interview where the, at that time, CEO and main guy of Blockbuster said, I looked at Netflix as just a niche market a blip on the radar, something we didn't need to worry about. So he literally laughed them out of the room. He looks not very smart right now. Blockbuster quickly became irrelevant. They missed the opportunity to capture what the direction that culture was going. They missed the opportunity to be at the prefaces, to be in front of the game instead of trailing behind it and trying to catch on. And because of that, they weren't, they weren't relevant and they stopped existing. And I fear that that's the direction that some church is going, and that is the direction that we as church leadership and pastoral staff and council, and, and I think us as a church would agree, we can't let that happen. I refuse to let the day come, and I know that Pastor Marlowe echoes this, we refuse to let the day come where we drive by this building and say that's where Eaglemont Church used to be. Where we look at this building and it, it, that's the church, it used to be the church, now it's a community center. I want this building to always be the center of our community, but I will never let this place become a community center. This will be Eaglemont Church. By that time, hoping we're in the new building, but I hope that there's stuff going on in here. Whether it's the building or not, the people need to be active. 
Wherever we are, Eaglemont Church will exist. But that's going to take some work. There's great things in store for this church. God has some amazing plans in store for Eaglemont Church. And I as scary as these stats are, I can't tell you enough how excited I am about what's to come. But that being said, nothing great ever came without work. And it's going to take work to be effective in the future. Absolutely it is. Things are going to have to look a little different. They're going to have to feel a little different. For the sake of reaching unchurched people, it has to change in some ways. And when I say this, uh, there may be some elements of Sunday morning that look different or may evolve over the next little while. And it may not be your first choice. And that's okay. Your comfort may be slightly set off balance. But that's okay. Maybe it's going to be how the lights look or, or the stage is designed. And some of that has already happened, as you've seen over the last couple of months. It might be how some of the things that we do are presented, song choices, maybe the videos or the graphics used. I'm not talking earth-shattering things here. I'm not saying you won't recognize your church. We're the same church, the same leadership, the same people, the same heart, the same vision behind it to reach people. But how we go about that is going to look different in some ways over the coming weeks, months, and years. That's what needs to happen. Like Brendan and Jaden said so well, we are missionaries. We're missionaries to the world around us, and it's our job as missionaries to know the culture around us. We don't get to just sit there and look at culture as a problem. We can see the problem, but we have to realize we're the solution. We don't get to sit there and complain and say, how should they be more? They should be way more like us. It's our job to look at that culture and find the most impactful way of reaching them. That's what Jesus calls us to. And this is, let me, let me get this straight. This isn't just about reaching some up and coming or just hitting us now younger generation. The changes we're talking about, the, whether they're big or small, are designed to reach all generations. We're, we want to reach generation X, boomers, the elderly. Every generation, every age group is important to this church. It's, it's monumental and, and it has to happen to have every generation working together. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have strategies at different points for different, different types of people, and that's fine. But we need to reach everybody. The strategies we're talking about and that are being planned and just even currently in our staff meetings and stuff like that and our team meetings, they're designed to definitely reach younger people, but we are planning to reach all generations, and they're going to work for both. It's important. Like it's been mentioned, it doesn't take very long to look around or look at stats. We have actual stats of this. Our church, along with most of Canada, has plateaued last six years or so. It means we haven't really lost any numbers, but we haven't grown. We haven't grown as our community has grown, and that's not a panic situation. In no means are we knee-jerk reactioning to anything or are we scared or freaking out, but it's time to focus, to maybe try some new things, and that's what we're doing here. And it doesn't take very long to look around, and this is the one that scares me personally, to see that we, are, we, just like Canada, are hemorrhaging young adults. And that's terrifying, and we have to stop that. Uh, but I see a, a time where we don't just band-aid that wound and just stop the bleeding, but where we see young adults not just being retained in this church, but young adults coming to this church. Because they know that this is a vibrant place where the older generation cares about them, where people love them, and where they can have life-changing community regularly. That's the dream that we see here at Eaglemont Church. Listen, I'm not trying to prepare you for anything crazy. You're not going to show up next week and see a Ferris wheel in the corner, some clowns in the cor that corner, and like a cotton candy machine on stage. It's still going to be church. It's still going to be church. 
But what we need to do is set our hearts in the right posture as we move forward here. Let me give you an example. Our stage design team met this last week. At the end of the summer, we have a new stage that's going to go up. Uh, One of the changes we're going to be making is we're going to be getting a new cross. (sighs) This is a good cross. It's a piece of wood. It has served us well. It's great. One of the reasons we're getting a new cross is something a little sleeker that fits our stage design plans in the future. It's going to have the ability to be backlit with some LED tape. It's not going to be a laser show on the cross. Don't worry. It's quite simple. That might not be your first choice of cross. There's going to be people here who like this one better. When they see the next one, they'll be like, I like the old one better. But here's my question to you. If I were to tell you that despite any logic you may carry or understanding of how the human brain works, that if changing to this newer cross at the end of the summer, something about it that allows us to focus in in a moment of worship on the cross above all other things on the stage captures a young person or a boomer's heart, somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet, having that capability is something that draws them in And they come back a second week and they hear the message that they needed to hear to accept Jesus and start a 50-year relationship with Jesus. If that was the case, would you be able to say, get that second cross up there? It's not my favorite design, but man, the mission behind it is important. The reason we're doing it is important. And that's the thing about the cross, is that it doesn't matter what lights you put on it. It doesn't matter what we do up here. It doesn't matter what physical cross we have up there. What that cross means and symbolizes for us as a church of Jesus and the calling to our community that, that he calls us to, that's what matters. The preference we have of how it looks isn't important. It's, the mo- it's what's most impactful in doing what he's called us to. So we need to be okay with being somewhat uncomfortable. We need to be okay with it not being our first choice. I'm not saying that your family, your kids, your own faith and growth isn't important because it's monumentally important. But the number one thing Jesus calls us to is to go and make disciples. Go into Beaumont, go into your job, go to your softball team, your hockey team, whatever it is, and make disciples. And we want to be a church that can be a place that you can bring them where they can hear the gospel communicated in language that they'll be able to work with, that they'll be able to understand, presented in a way that they'll be able to engage with. It comes down to this. We need to posture ourselves in a way where we look at all elements of church and our lives and realize it's not about me, it's about them. So let's do this, Eaglemont. I believe, honestly, that today marks a big day for us. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. This is a big day. And as you leave this morning, give, I want to give you a little bit of a benediction. So hear me on this. Eaglemont, may you be so passionate about unchurched people that you can't shake the need to reach them for Jesus. May your love for your neighbors compel you to engage in meaningful relationship with them and invite them to church with you regularly. May you see every day as an opportunity to change the world around you for Jesus. And may you, just as Jesus did, walk humbly with the need to reach others above your own comfort in everything you do. I love you all. And I believe in you all. We can do this. We will grow. We just can't stay here. We need to be uncomfortable with comfort. I just want to say one last thing. Just for the elderly and the older and the boomers or whatever. Older than me. People in the church. We're not forgetting about you. 
We value you so much. In fact, we can't do this without you. If we have like a hundred young adults standing over at the coffee bar after, but we don't have anybody older than them engaging with them, asking them how their week was, taking them for coffee, telling stories, giving them examples of how to walk through marriage and different stages of life, we've missed the mark as well. That is so important. We need you. If you have any questions about things that happen as they change, or, or even just today you have some concerns or questions, email me, jeff at eaglemontchurch.ca. I will take you for coffee. You can ask me any questions. Keep asking questions because it keeps us thinking about everything. We love you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the vision that you've given your people that you call us to, to reach people, to grow in faith and to make more disciples. God, I thank you for this church. We thank you for, we know this is a big day. Just as 11 years ago when we planted, it was a big day. Every time we seek out to, to make more disciples, that's a big day. God, I pray that you're, you're calling on our hearts to be a church that grows and, and grows in, in depth with you and in numbers of people, that that would be on, on the forefront of our minds. Father, I pray that we would, uh, we would just care so much at all points. We wouldn't become lazy or comfortable. God, I pray that Beaumont would know that we're for them. I pray that Beaumont would know that there's a church that cares about them. And I pray that we would just be that light in this community. We're so excited for what you have planned here. Use us in whatever way we can. We pray for unity in this church. And we pray for progression and growth and people to know you. Amen. So let's do it. So now as part of our, like I said, of our youth highlight, we, uh, we always feed our, our kids. So we're going to feed you. Uh, we're going to pull some tables out over here. And, and if you guys on the right side here want to pull your chairs over to put them around the tables, we got lots of pancakes ready to go. Thank you for being here with us. We love you all. And uh, go out and make disciples. Have a great week.